Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of TuckCast uh, here in bright and sunny Bryson City. I'm sitting down with uh, one of our fellow guides and employees of Tuck Fly Shop, uh, Shannon Messer. So welcome and glad you, uh, you're here sitting with us. Yeah, I am too. If I, if I wasn't here, that must mean I'm in trouble or not at work today. <laughs> ah, you could be fishing, you know? <laughs> well, you know, as, a, as a people often don't know, but we don't get to fish as much as they think that we that's true. get to. That's so true. here we are. That's very true. Well, we're going to uh, kind of continue the series of um, interviewing uh, some of the people in the shop and and kind of letting the, the listeners and uh, consumers and friends of the shop learn a little bit more about us and why we do this and how we got into it and, and things of that nature. So uh, we're going to do this little interview with Shannon today, and uh, hopefully you guys uh, like him even more than you do now. So uh, I guess we'll just start off with kind of the first question that everybody does is, uh, where'd you grow up and how'd all that happen? Well, um, without getting into the birds and bees of things there, but I uh, was born in uh, Waynesville, Haywood County, uh, there October 17th in 1970, and um, was very fortunate to have been born in this area of the world, in my opinion. It, it is a great place to be. I don't know if I appreciated it early on at a young age, as most of us probably don't, but uh, it is certainly now a destination and a place that people want to come and, and live at. But with that being said, if you think about the early 70s and the job markets and things like that, my dad actually started working construction, and he was working for a company out of Greenville, South Carolina, Daniels Construction. And at the time, what dad would do, he would work these job sites. And, and uh, the first one I remember him being on was in Georgia, the yellow dirt, which is actually a coal burning power plant. So he built power plants, um, started off as a pipe fitter and worked up to a nuclear welder. And, um, we actually would stay at home and then uh, my papa did it as well. Uh, but then we ended up moving to Georgia for, for a little bit of time, went to kindergarten in first grade, lived in, uh, Roopville, Georgia for a few years around the Carrollton area. And that experience looking back on it now, Bobby, really was a great thing. So was born here, and then I got to do some traveling at an early age, uh, which really uh, set the foundation as far as fishing and hunting and things of that nature and meeting other people and interacting with other people from other parts of the country that we have. So my, uh, I would fish all the time. I, I would fish Every, con- everywhere you go. Anywhere I go, I would fish. I would fish. Um, one of the, one of the places we lived, there was a farm pond not far from the house. Um, so you can imagine a five-year-old boy going down to the farm pond fishing, uh, to the point that my papa just nicknamed me a little fisherman. That's and, cool. and that just kind of stuck with me for years and years and years. So from there, we finished up that job site or my dad finished up the job site. We went to Missouri. We lived in a town out there called Yates, uh, excuse me, Holt Summit, Missouri. Dad worked on a Callaway nuclear power plant there. I uh, was a nuclear welder at that job site, was there for a few years, went to uh, uh, went to second and third grade out there. Um, uh, we fished the Ozarks uh, quite a bit, uh, a lot of great wildlife out in Missouri, and uh, also hunted out there as well. And then from that, the next job site was in Kansas. And as far as all of the places that I've actually lived in the United States, other than North Carolina, 
Kansas, hand down, hands down, was my favorite. Surprisingly, I think to a lot of folks, we lived in a little town called Yates Center, Kansas, Prairie Hay Capital of the World. The roads in town are brick. One stoplight. That's pretty cool. It is cool. It is cool. Is there is there is it known for brick? Like, is there a bunch of clay? I I don't know. I mean, it's just real. interesting that they do brick. It's just brick roads. Yeah, yeah. Fourth and fifth grade out there. Um, loved it because I was at the age everybody's watched the Sandlot for the most part. But you you see those boys riding their bikes, going to the pool, playing baseball, all that stuff like that. That was my life before the Sandlot came out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I lived in town, and the joke in class was I was a city slicker because several of the students that I played ball with out there on the baseball field, and there were some great athletes out there. Um, football was awful. Didn't have enough people to play football. Football. Was <laughs> that was just, before seven-man league? <laughs> no, they, they had eight-man football, but it was no good, no bueno. But uh, um, basketball and baseball was king in that town. But they would shut down the town in the evening time to go to the baseball field to watch Little League Baseball. That's it was cool. huge. Yeah. It was awesome. Loved it. That's small-town America, man. It was. But I could ride my bike anywhere, anywhere, and just go. And we would go play football and baseball and stuff like that. But out there, we would fish a lot of the lakes. We had some great lakes, um, not to say great lakes like Illinois and stuff, but we had uh, some wonderful lake fishing out there. Um, One of the the lakes, there was Melbourne Lake, and I'll go blank on the other one there that we'd go fish. But there was also, um, with some of the game land that they had out there, there were some fantastic beaver ponds. And we know what kind of habitat that creates. So it was it was awesome to be able to, I felt like at an early age, to travel, be able to learn to uh, communicate and uh, with other people from other parts of the country and seeing what life is like. And it certainly has paid dividends now, um, for sure. Now, when that job was over, we could have went further west, but mom won the battle and we, we, we came back to Waynesville. So from Waynesville on, I was over there from sixth grade all the way up through graduation at Tuscola High School and go Mountaineers for those people that might be listening to the Canton side of the county over there, our rivals nice. at Pisgah. So go Mountaineers <laughs> for sure. But uh, yeah, so um, so I had an eclectic childhood yeah. in some ways, uh, growing up in different places. But Waynesville is home, you know, for me, will always be considered home, but uh, maybe with a little twist along yeah, the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it sounds like you started fishing when you were young. I mean, was that your father's influence on you? Um, you know, we fished. Uh, Dad fished. Um, Dad was more of you know the John boat, you know, type fisherman uh, along that lines. Not as much the trout, you know, per se. There. So we actually, I remember very vividly, um, you know, catfish, crappie, you know, brim, bluegill, uh, various techniques. Uh, you know, trot lines in Georgia, uh, just, you know, just where you're at, kind of doing those particular, you know, techniques there. Uh, my papaw at, at one time, he, he actually had a uh, boathouse over here in Fontana Lake. And um, um, so, you know, his he, he was, you know, more on that side when it come to, you know, to that side of the family. But but I grew up with a creek behind the house. The, the creek was was in our yard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so I mean, did you fly fish at that at a young age, or did you not pick up fly fish until you were 
is more like teenager years or something. Uh, great question. I didn't really start fly fishing until I got around that 12 year old mark um, there. And that was just an interest um, that really, it was there. Uh, on my dad's side of the family, he had a couple of uncles um, there, uh, one uh, uh, being Sonny, Sonny Williams, uh, otherwise known as Red, who, who passed away way too early. But he, we would go visit him, and he would have some um, from fly rods that would be up on the wall, up in your typical gun rack that, that we had back in the day instead of gun safes. And I would just always just was mesmerized or intrigued by those works of art. Um, and, and uh, you know, he would tell Dad, you know, take that boy, get those rods and take that boy fishing. So we'd go to Jonathan Creek, um, you know, down through there and, and fish Jonathan Creek, not knowing – you know, really what I was doing at the time, especially at an early age. I mean, you, you just you just yeah. don't know what's going on there for sure. But then as I got older, when I say older, you think you're old when you're 12 years old. Um, you know, um, really, really got real serious about, uh, you say, fly fishing at that age. And that was really going forward from that point on was the only way that I fished. Uh, pretty yeah. much giving up on all the lakes and things of that nature for sure. I think we see that a lot. People get into fly fishing and it kind of consumes them pretty quick. So that's pretty cool. So after your teenage years through high school and stuff, uh, you, you did a little bit of a spell in the military. What kind of spawned that and made you want to do that? And, and why? Why the Navy? Man, like, so, so easy. that's an easy one. Why, why the Navy? I love camping. <laughs> I, I love I love camping, but I want to do it on my terms. So, <laughs> there you go. so the the point being, man, if I want to, you know, pack up and go to Catalucha Valley, which I would do after school, you know, in my seventy three Ford F one hundred, you know, three on the tree long wheelbase truck, I had a camper shell. I go do that and fish. That was on my terms. Um, going to where it's going to be dictated by someone else. Yeah, I was like, no, no. But I wanted to travel. the The seed had been planted at an early age whether I didn't know it at the time, but I did enjoy traveling and seeing other places uh, of the United States. So, so why not uh, the Navy? And um, had two family members that were currently serving. Uh, one was a command master chief on a small boy um, ship, you know, surface ship right there. I can't remember if it was a destroyer or a cruiser. And then I had another family members, member that was an officer on a sub, on a sub. And had conversations with both those, and they had some great stories. Um, so one day when I was, uh, you know, junior in high school, I just walked down to the recruiter's office in Waynesville and uh, went in, introduced myself. And the uh, recruiter's name is Chief Everhart. And if he's listening, man, stand-up guy. Uh, he told it like it was. But one of the first things he asked is, are you in trouble? <laughs> I, you know, meaning that a lot of folks just aren't freely walking in wanting to to do that there. But um, um, so I, I did that, and I'm glad I did. I do it again and recommend it to a lot of people. Uh, the travel was fantastic. I got to see half the world at least across the Arctic Circle. And you were you were on a carrier. I was on an aircraft carrier, and um, prior to going in, of course, Top Gun came out, and everybody wanted to be you know Tom Cruise and have the motorcycle and yeah, yeah. You know, get the girl. and uh, But uh, it didn't work out like that because enlisted, you're not going to the officer's club. You're not, <laughs> you know, you're not flying the airplanes and stuff. But, uh, um, but I did and went to, uh, I had never flown and never been to the ocean, had never seen the ocean in person. That's funny being that you traveled as much as you did when you were a kid. You never, 
Made it east. <laughs> I, I I didn't. I, I did not. My parents went to the beach. I remember one year Myrtle Beach, but at that time I I was currently working uh, as a, as a high school student. I was working doing all the other stuff that a typical you know young teenage boy would do back in the uh, you know the mid eighties, which was a great time to grow up. By the way, um, there and going to the beach was not high on my priority list. Yes, it, it's it's crazy for me to hear that because. Being that I grew up in the central part of the state, I kind of cut my teeth on fishing at the coast. You know, we used to go down there a lot. So that's, it's weird when I hear people say, man, I didn't see the beach until I was 18 or 20 or 25. It's just kind of funny. But you, you don't think of that, you know, because you did it. So you just expect everybody does it. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, and today, um, as far as us having a beach vacation, the last time we actually had that per se was when Alex was playing a World Series baseball tournament when he was 13 years old. That was the last time that you can say Tanya, myself, and Braden, who's our youngest, who will be 10 in February, you know, experienced, uh, and of course, Alex, you know, time at the beach, but most of my time was spent, obviously, you know, coaching those boys, which I've coached baseball for years and years, um, there was, was at the beach. But the closest thing I saw to the beach, Bobby, was when I flew up to boot camp. And boot camp for the Navy back then that I went to was Great Lakes, Illinois. So we flew into Chicago. I'd never flown. So flying out of Charlotte, yeah, you know, uh, to Chicago, what an experience that was. And got, got to boot camp, graduated boot camp. Parents came up for graduation and uh, had liberty, had overnight liberty. So after we had eaten chow uh, or dinner per se, and they had no sweet tea up there, um, <laughs> we went and I saw Lake Michigan for the first time, and that's the closest thing that that looked like the the ocean to me until after I graduated a school. Well, I had a school. I was I was electrician in the Navy, uh, so I went to school to be an electrician up there at Great Lakes, and. Um, I was able to pick orders based upon my class rank. In doing so, I got to pick pretty high up, unfortunately. I got my stuff together and had done pretty good in school. And I was able to pick an aircraft carrier. And when I selected the aircraft carrier, and that's uh, to all my shipmates out there and the guys on the Drunken Pirates on the Facebook page, if you guys are listening, um, USS Dwight D. Eisenhower, CVN-69, the whole number, nuclear power carrier. The guy said, great news, it just left today on a six-month deployment. So I flew from Philadelphia to Rota, Spain, from Rota to Signilla, Sicily, to Naval Air Station. And then from that point, I got flown into the aircraft carrier in an airplane. That's cool. So I got a trap. Yeah, you got to land. So I got That's to cool. land on an aircraft carrier. So from Philadelphia to Rhoda, I woke up and looked out the window, and that's the first time I saw the ocean was from an airplane. Now my first weird. my first <laughs> beach visit though was Cannes, France. International film festivals going on. So so I was kind of spoiled at that point. So my beach my beach experience um, uh, rating scale is set very high when you're in the in the Mediterranean in the French Riviera going from Cannes to Monte Carlo and places like that. Yeah. So so my expectations of a beach over there versus what they were here on the uh you know the coast is entirely different but uh 
you know, I, I never experienced, uh, you know, the beach growing up as a kid. Most of my time was spent here in the mountains, and, and really today it still is. We 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 enjoy just kind of, you know, hanging here and, and, and doing that for sure. But the Navy was great. Loved to travel. Uh, like I said, crossed the Arctic Circle, went through the Suez Canal, um, served over in the uh, Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm. Um, you were the first nuclear carrier, first nuclear carrier to ever transit the Suez Canal. Um, we took up station over in the Gulf, and um, you know things got serious from that point on, uh, for sure. But uh, great experiences, got got great friendships that still exist today, and uh, you know we we still poke fun at each other. And, uh, but it's great. I, I, I do it all over again. And for the right person, the travel was just, was spot on, man. I've, yeah. I've, I've been all yeah. over the place and I've seen Big Ben, you know, and, you know, their parliament, you know, if we remember from the, from the uh, European vacation, you know, hey, look, kids, Big Ben in parliament when he's stuck in the roundabout and he can't get out. Good old, <laughs> our friend Clark, as we drove by on the bus, I was like, hey, look, it's Big Ben in parliament. So did my best Clark Griswold impression over there. But, uh, I, I couldn't put a value on that experience of travel, and that's why I selected the Navy, of course. So I wanted to camp on my terms. There, I, I was able to camp and have a have a three 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 warmer squares a day if I wanted, you know, hot hot showers and and things like that. So it's, yeah, yeah, that's so probably that, a benefit that, of it. That was a great benefit for sure. But <clears throat> certainly appreciate all the other ones out there and all the other forces, of course. Absolutely, man. So after uh, after the Navy. Um, I guess you could call it the career before your your fly fishing career. Um, kind of run through that aspect. Did you did you uh, stick with stuff that kind of dealt with military things, or did you go into some other other items, or or what what did that look like? You know that's, that that's a great question. My so I went into the Navy with with the idea I was going to retire from that at least twenty years, and it didn't work out that way due to a various things such as we had a change in presidency um, there and not to get political, um, but base closings, uh, cutbacks, lack of funding, uh, things of that nature. Um, so I, I elected, I'm standing watching central control and across from me is someone who's been in 12 years or right at 12 wanting to reenlist for their fourth term and being told, no, we don't need you no more. Here's $30,000. Um, and I'm like, well, okay. Um, I did have permission to reenlist from bupers and stuff, but, but at that point I'm like, you know, I'm young, I can go home and do something else. So my theory was to come back home and, and take my electrical training and skill set and my apprenticeship hours and be able to go in and, and certainly take a test to get my electrical license. However, North Carolina did not recognize all those hours that had been documented. So I'd had to start over from the ground. Oh, wow. So I accidentally ended up in the car business. Um, it sells and, and did that for years and, and enjoyed it. Um, there I'd grown up, you know, my papa was had several businesses, so I'd grown up in more of a selling type environment too, as a kid. Uh, so I, I, I enjoyed that, did that for several years, continued fishing, of course, um, you know, beating the places to death, um, before they're, um, you know, uh, as popular as they are now, you know, had them to ourselves. And it got to the point where people would bring their setup to the to the to the dealership, and I would go through and show them how to rig their stuff up. And I would I would be doing that out on the showroom floor, or or, or whatever there. But I I did sales, I did F and I, and sales manager. Worked for a great family, 
uh, wonderful people who unfortunately, you know, they're no longer in business due to uh, GM's restructuring. They'd been in a dealer since 1935. But, uh, um, you know, that's that's kind of what I did. Uh, coached baseball. Um, was, was, you know, did that. Did that at the middle school level as well as a uh, showcase level also. Um, did that for years and enjoyed that um, there. And now kind of doing some of that with Braden, who, you know, at a little league level, of course. But uh, did a lot of things like that to volunteer type work and uh, hopefully influencing people along the way. And uh, so, of course, was time flies, um, you yeah. know, too. That, that, was, that was huge and important. Well, huge. you kind of got a history of that in your family a little bit. Yeah, there, there is. And I think most people who grow up here, um, there is a history of that. Um, I think it's... I don't say we took it for granted, but maybe we didn't realize how much of an influence that those people were making on us and how big of influencers they really still are today, especially with the fly fishing museum that exists here, preserving some of that heritage and history. But, um, you know, you you think about it, it was, it was one of those things that were for most people years ago, it was, it was important because it was sustenance. It, it supplemented the farming that they were doing. Yeah. So, you know, they were, you know, fishing for food um, there, not fishing to destroy the fishery, but fishing for food. And they would use the the materials they had around the house, whether it was a baby doll hair or you had a Dominic or a rooster running around the front yard, you plucked the feathers off of it and there was your hackle. Yarns were the, you know, the bodies, of course, there. But um, I, I didn't know it at the time, uh, what kind of, um, how fortunate I was to have that knowledge wrapped yeah, around yeah. me, but I, I, I truly, <clears throat> I say I appreciated it, but even more so now looking, looking back on it. So preserving that, that history and heritage is certainly something that, uh, that, that I feel like I want to do and continue to do. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's some great people who are, are, you know, they're, they're common names in Haywood County, but you get outside that people wouldn't know about them. And some have passed away and, and gone, of course, but, uh, but were real key, um, to where I'm at today, of course. Yeah, well, that's that's pretty cool, man. It's nice to have a little bit of a history of that in your family. You know, I'm, I guess I could say I'm kind of the first fly fisher men, woman, however you want to put it, um, in my family. So I'm the only one that does it, which uh, seems weird, but you know, to have it in your past like that, I think is pretty cool. Um, so that brings you kind of into uh, where we're at now. You know, you work in a fly shop, you guide. Um, you do a little bit of everything. So just kind of let everybody out there know what's your, what's kind of the role that you play here at the shop and, and what you do and why you do it, all those good things. Um, well, um, boy, what role do I have? Well, well, I think the the most important role I have is entertainer. I, <laughs> I play, I play the role of entertainer. Um, me, on, on a serious note though, seriously, it, the, the point is, is that I, I think more often than not, you know, you, you've got to have fun with what you do. And um, th- there's there's times, you know, we have some real serious conversations, things that we do behind the scenes that people don't realize that have to be done in any business, regardless of what it is. But but I'm the one who wants to say, you know, you know, it should be light. It should be fun. When people come in, they should, they should smile. They should laugh. Um, and, of course, that relationship with you guys started uh, shortly right after you opened. Um, you know, Alex... Uh, was a freshman in high school and just happened to be in Miss Collins math class. And, um, their first day she's like, uh, kind of having them in, introduce themselves and say something that they like and something. And 
he said fly fishing, and she goes, well, we just opened up a fly shop. So here we came. I had to get him some uh, wet wading gravel guard socks. Nice. So so her, there's there's how that kind of started with you folks there. But um, um, so here, you know, that lends to where we're at today, of course. Um, you folks, uh, you know, fortunate enough to be here with you guys and part of the family. But uh, what I do on the, uh, for some of you folks who don't know other than, you know, here at the counter helping you or, or tying flies or on the water with people, and we've got retail sales. You know, we've got product knowledge training. We've got to look at reports and, and do orders for new, new product. Of course, inventory and manage those things and look at those numbers because that's the business part of it. Without that existing, the other part can't happen. And uh, people who think that, hey, you work in a fly shop, great, you fish all the time, and it's total opposite. We're, we're in the fishing industry, which is fly fishing industry is actually relatively small. But... Um, there are more things that have to be done to ensure that we can keep our doors open and that I'm able to be here with you folks. And that entails, you know, uh, trying to make sure we have the right product in the shop that people's going to be able to purchase, um, having the right things where we can help them and help them be successful on the stream. So those are some of the things that, that I do on a regular basis, other than tying some flies, making some funny videos and maybe telling a joke or two along the way and uh, uh, just, just having fun in the process. Yeah, you actually just mentioned something I was going to kind of touch on. Uh, Shannon ties flies, like a lot of us do, um, you know, that work in a fly shop. But he he really ties flies. Like, he, he ties them by the dozens. And uh, in my in my opinion, he's a really good fly tire. Um, so if you want to look him up, go to uh, – what's your Instagram? It's Appalachian – Yeah, fly? App- Appalachian Flies. It's A-P-P-A-L-A-C-H-I-A-N underscore flies f-l-i-e-s um that's on instagram yeah yeah so check him out on that and Mm -hmm. and also uh if you go to our blog on our website www.tuckflyshop.com um he's got some tying videos up there um that we put up periodically every i don't know a couple weeks or so it all depends on how busy we are in the shop how how often they get put up we'd like to put one up every week but sometimes that's just not not possible with everything else that shannon just mentioned going on in the background but uh, definitely check that out because he, he's really good fly tire and um, he can he can talk you up on how to do some stuff and also kind of show you the Norvice. Um, if you're not familiar with that, that's something he ties on that's a really nice fly tying system. So, um, again, we're here with Shannon Messer, uh, just kind of doing a quick interview, um, letting everybody know what he's about and what he's doing. Um, what's, uh, what's maybe your favorite part? Uh, and this may go into that the previous question we talked about what's what's your favorite part of being in the fly fishing industry you mentioned it's small um but what do, what do you kind of feel there i think we are able to not work and when i say not work we're passionate about what we do and i'm able to share that with people on a daily basis when they walk in the doors here and the impact we have on people beyond fishing goes, it goes much, much greater than that. Whether you come in here and you go out on a trip with us and, and I'm fortunate enough to share the water with you, then it's an honor. And I truly mean that when I'm on the water with a, with a guest, it's an honor to share the water with them, regardless of their background, where they come from. But we do not know what type of things they may be experiencing there. And it, it didn't take me long to figure out not only are we guides on the water, but 
but we are counselors and we're listeners and, and oh definitely we're, we're you know we bring joy to people who may not, may be needing it in the That's worst way that very, we very never true. think about and they may not know it at the time. I'm not saying that we get a bunch of sad people that come in here because it's further, 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 further from the truth. I'm not saying that. We just see people relax and just forget about stresses yeah. for four well, A lot hours of people just so. have a, a high-pressure job, yes. and it, it's a way for them to get away from it. You know, Absolutely. Their cell phone doesn't always work, which is great. They don't have a signal. So, yeah. Absolutely. And, and so, so that's a joy that I can share that with people. And I never thought about it. But, you know, like you know, the knowledge of fly tying – talking to people about flies, trying to keep that heritage going, the traditions going, uh, but also being open to new techniques. And, and as you, uh, we talk about, you know, new materials and, and new ways of doing things, there's nothing wrong with it. My theory and philosophy is there's no rules. If, when you watch my videos, and please do, watch, watch my videos, um, they, they, I got the Bob Ross theory. There's no mistakes. We just have happy accidents. Uh, so use what you have and I try to make it light and uh, very entertaining and tell a story or two along the way, but that's what we get to do on a regular basis there. Uh, and I grew up in a small town, uh, you know, Waynesville, uh, it was a great, great place to grow up in, but, but here I am in this, I don't work. Tanya knows I don't work. I'm just able to do what I do and very blessed to do so and able to share that with people. And I'm glad to share that. And hopefully we can continue to grow this sport. Not to where everybody has to do it, but to the point for the ones that want to try it, we're able to make that happen uh, and put that influence on them. And um, for the ones that want to get, you know, super serious about it, we lay the great foundation, just like building a house. We lay that foundation for them. So going forward, they can build those building blocks. I may have played a, uh, you know, played a small part in that process. And if so, man, that's great. But uh that's that's why I do what I do and and why I enjoy this you know so much and and to be honest with you man if 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 it probably wasn't for fly fishing I'd, it's uh, it's it's I'd say it's probably saved my marriage in a lot of ways because of you know stresses and things like that we we work in a for the most part a very low stress environment and we can escape we can go hit the water for a few hours and uh, that that's that's a definitely a great blessing and it's definitely for a lot of folks that served in the military for various reasons. So I have to say, more than anything else, it's 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 good health for me uh, when it comes to that mentally and, and physically for sure. Very cool, very cool. <clears throat> kind of uh, leading off of that because you kind of mentioned it. And this probably will, this is a similar question in that, but what are um, what's maybe your favorite? You actually, you actually asked me a very similar question this when you were interviewing me for the podcast. Um, what's your favorite type of fly fishing and why? And then also with that, um, what's your favorite memory on the water? Boy, my favorite type of fly fishing has got to be with the dry fly. Purist. Yeah, I didn't say purist, but it's a dry <laughs> fly. I don't know if the stuff we grew up around here was very purist. I mean, define purist. Um <laughs> I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's, that's an opinion. And then we know what they say about opinions. But, uh, you know, I just love the topwater bite. I, I love sneaking up on fish. And for here, where we're at, we have very, very technical fish, wary fish uh, in the national park, in these, you know, national forests and these blue line streams and creeks and stuff. And I say creeks, I like creek fishing. I love creek fishing, but most of the people we get are not interested in fishing a creek 
and it's four feet wide. But my gosh, that is a blast to do. Love throwing a little uh, little fiberglass rod, little Scott, you know, F series fiberglass rod, five piece rod is is fantastic. That's a blast. But uh, you know, tying up your you know little dries going out there with one of your family flies or something I've created and and being able to get that fish to come up top water bite is awesome. So that's that's what I enjoy more than anything else. However, as we know, fishing's fishing. If I need to maybe go to a little nymph subsurface, go to the dark side with a nymph, I'll I'll do that. But I would rather do the do the top water. And and as far as you know, experiences, gosh, there's there's so many, and you know this as well as I do. There's so many of them out there. Um, it could easily be, you know, both both of my boys, you know, catching their you know their first fish on a fly rod. Um, there, you certainly could could rate up there with with many of them. Uh, of course, pretty high. Um, you know, I, I can kind of look back at the Catalucha Valley, you know, when I really got serious about tying flies and, you know, the first the first trout I caught up there on the fly that I tied. It was like I was accepted. Um, that one rates up there because I, I've never forgotten that event because that fly fooled one of the hardest fish there is to catch and one of the hardest places there is to fish around here. It's like I have... I've been accepted by the fishing day. The trout have accepted me at that point. So that one stands out for sure. But other than my kids, uh, my wife doesn't fish. Um, she's too accident prone. Uh, she doesn't <laughs> care to fish. She'll read a book and I'm okay with that. She's very supportive. Um, so we don't necessarily let her near the stream per se, other than to watch while sitting in the chair and reading a book. So we'll, we'll go out. So, um, that's that those are some fun experiences for sure yeah I think you know <clears throat> I don't have kids but I can see that being being something that that um, would be a good memory you know fishing with your boys or or girls you know depending on what you've got there so uh, I guess we'll make this probably the final question here and this can be a probably a very lengthy answer and there's probably a lot of ways you could go with it but um for everybody listening out there, you know, you've got, you've got the people that want to go out and catch a bunch of fish. You've got the people that are like, I just want to experience the area. Um, what's, what's probably the best advice or any advice that you could maybe give to, to the people listening about fishing or, or just how to enjoy a, uh, a day on the water? Don't be afraid of failure. Fly, fly fishing is the most difficult way you could ever choose to fish regardless of species and here we're chasing trout and that's that's what i chase um this year's been a great year of fishing trout on the on the fly in various different places but but it's the most difficult way to fish failure and adversity can help you grow in so many ways and i i would tell people don't get caught up on how many fish you're catching let's focus on how you're going to get better because there's some days out there regardless of what we do even with some of us uh, skill sets that that are that are blessed maybe a little bit more than others it can still be a difficult day but there's things that can be taken back from it number one you know how how can i perfect my cast and my drift how can i learn to read the water a little bit better where am i at let's let's take a moment and look at look around and what are we experiencing today um uh, you know, last year, not this year, I was the bear magnet, had 10 bear encounters while fishing. But but taking the time and understanding that 
the things that you that we get to see out there really and in some cases trump you know you know how many fish am i netting today but at at the end of the day uh, you know don't be afraid of failure embrace it and grow from it learn from it you know adversity uh, you know you look it's when you're on top of the mountain it, it's really tough to make yourself grow but when you're down in that valley Nobody plants crops on top of the mountain peaks, or they they plant them down in a valley. That's that's where everything grows, okay. And that's the way I look at it, man. As your day goes up and down, you've got those growth moments out there, and don't be afraid of trying something different. I think folks get, um, you know, get in a rut. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I get in a rut. I just want to throw dry flies. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh God, what are you doing? Look in the abyss of your of your fly bag there, and. Let's pull this thing out and tie it on, man. Maybe yeah. let's let's throw a soft tackle behind it. Um, so uh, that's my advice, man. Is 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 you know don't be afraid of adversity and and uh, don't be afraid of failure because it's yeah, well, going to make it. you better. I mean, I've, I've even on guided trips, I've had people that <clears throat> you know basically say, I'll say you need to cast it under that rhododendron, and they're like, eh, I might get hung up, and I'm like, well, you know that's the risk of it. You know, there's fish under there. That's 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 where they're going to be. So you know, so what if you get hung up in it? You break off and you throw under there again. You know, so. I think that's good advice is, like, you know, take the chance, go do it. Um, you can't catch fish if you're standing in the fly shop or sitting at home. So you got to get out there and do it, and definitely makes sense. So, yeah. Well, I enjoyed the interview, and uh, hope you did. Yeah, um, man. It, 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 was, it was a blast, man. Well, you good, know, good. Hey, hey, we don't know what we're doing either, but we're doing it. That's right. So we're, that's it. We're, 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 go, we're following our own advice here. <laughs> don't be afraid of failure. So, so that's, that's what we we're doing. We all know that. We all know that. That's how I opened the fly shop. I, was a, I couldn't be afraid to fail, so it, it works. But uh, we appreciate, appreciate everybody out there listening and uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. And uh, if you want to check us out, go to www.tuckflyshop.com. Um, we got the blog up there again. It's got some uh, some videos of Shannon tying. Um, it's also got some info about the shop and and everything we do. And uh, we're also on Facebook, Instagram. We got a YouTube channel that's got the fly tying videos and stuff like that up there too. So go check all that out. And um, also, if you've got anything that you'd like to to hear on the podcast, of course, we're going to continue uh, the series. We're gonna, we still got to interview a couple other folks, Dale, the other co-owner, and and Jack, one of our other guys that's in the shop a bunch. Um, but after that, you know, we're going we're gonna to continue on with some other topics. So feel free to email us and, uh, you know, say, hey, I'd, I'd like to hear something about this. And uh, we'll try to dig it up and see what we know about it or get somebody in here that's a little bit more, um, I don't want to say expert, but maybe knows more about it than we do because we don't know it all. So uh, thanks for listening and uh, signing off now. <laughs>